Good morning. Good morning to everyone in the room. Good morning to everyone at home this morning. My name is Steph Roller, and I appreciate you joining me for the last week of a series where we were, are answering questions about money. And we learn and teach about money and giving once a year because Jesus talked so much about it. And several years ago, I told Dave Bartlett, this was my favorite series of the year. And he said, great, I'll remember that. I forgot that life lesson where if you say you like something, you're gonna get volunteered for it. So here I am, but it truly is one of my favorite series of the year. But I'm fully aware that for some of you, it's not. And you're wishing, oh, wish I would have checked the teaching schedule this morning. Maybe I would have just stayed in my jammies. And I understand that because some of us don't like to talk about money. But no worries, okay? If you all promise to just relax and have fun, I promise no guilt or pressure. Deal? So we are doing this series in a different way than we normally teach. Rather than sermon style, we're doing it kind of question and answer. So we ask staff and friends and small groups and people from our congregation to share questions with the teaching team. And then Dave and Jeff and I split up the questions, but we also asked our staff to share some of their very own money tips back with us, and we thought it would be fun to start each week sharing those with you. Well, here's the two that I picked. These are both from anonymous married staff people. The first one, in a marriage, have one person be good at money. Great tip, one person should be good at everything that you do, right? So that comes along with this follow-up tip. Be aware of what each other spends, but then it doesn't matter when you have children because all of the money goes to them. <laughs> and that is just so true, isn't it? Like just when you think you've saved enough money to finally replace that underwear with the torn out waistband that you've been hanging on to forever, the kids need new shoes. In fact, as a rule, anytime you've saved money for anything, the kids need new shoes. But let's get to my first question. Why does Jesus talk so much about money? It's a fantastic question because you're right, whoever asked it, Jesus does talk a lot about money and he uses illustrations involving money to teach other truths in some of his parables. Well, why? Well, I used to be a little bit skeptical about this and maybe you are too, especially at the beginning of your faith journey. And you might think like this, Jesus is just greedy and so is the church. They just want my money. And so of course Jesus talks a lot about it. It's to make me feel guilty or pressured. But Jesus didn't have a lot of money and he wasn't after money for himself. In fact, he didn't even carry the money bag for his group of disciples. He came from a working class family. His dad was a carpenter. My dad was a pipe fitter. So I kind of imagine that same kind of working class household where you worked physically really hard for what you needed and what you didn't earn, you didn't have. And he didn't seem to have a lot of possessions. When Jesus died, they divided up his stuff and it was just some clothes. No fancy jewelry or expensive weapons or rich garments, just some everyday clothes. He stayed at friends' homes when he traveled and he borrowed a donkey when he needed a ride. He wasn't collecting a lot of money and getting rich. So if Jesus wasn't looking to get rich himself, then why does he talk about money so much? Well, for me, the key to understanding this was to take a step back 
and remind myself and think, why did Jesus come? What was his purpose here? So here are a few things Jesus said about why he came. John 3.17, Jesus is talking to Nicodemus. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Hey, Nicodemus, hey, you guys, I'm here to save you. In John 10.10, Jesus is talking about being a good shepherd and showing the way. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. I am the one that can give you a full life, my sheep, my disciples, my followers, my friends. In John 14, 6, Jesus is talking to Thomas, and he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You guys, I am the one showing you the way to the Father, to eternal life. So Jesus is here to save us and not condemn us. He's here that so we can have a full life. And he's here so we can find our way to the Father. He didn't come to get rich. So why talk about money as much as he does? Well, I believe that Jesus spends time talking about money because he doesn't want anything to get in the way of us actually finding the life that he came to give us. The life we have here, and our life eternally. And it's because he knows that in this world, there is not a lot that can come between our relationship with God more than money. Money can tempt us to lie, to steal, to cheat. It can make us jealous or envious. It can persuade us to be too busy to spend time with God. If you've ever watched an episode of Dateline, you know that money can entice some of us to commit murder. So, as I'm typing up this series, I got curious in thinking about that. And I googled, how much does it cost to hire someone to murder my spouse? <laughs> and then I got a dark web warning. You guys, I freaked out. I could not hit escape fast enough and turn off my computer, and now I'm worried because I seriously hope nothing happens to Todd, my husband, because I really love him, but also because Dateline is gonna notice that my search history includes pricing out a hitman. She claimed she was researching a sermon and had no intention of hiring a hitman. Or did she? But in sad seriousness, people sell their souls for a little bit of money in a lot of ways. And Jesus knew this would be a problem. So in Matthew 6, 24, Jesus, in the middle of his most famous and longest teaching, the Sermon on the Mount, takes time to remind us of this. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You can have both things, but only one can be your master. Only one can be the most important thing. And that's why Jesus spends so much time talking about it. Don't lose your way. There's more to life than money. Don't you know that? 
but it can be so easy to let money become our master, our idol, our motivator, our purpose. And it's not like we can live without it, right? And Jesus knows that. He knows that we need money to buy food and pay our bills and take our families on vacation. He knows that. And he's not saying that we shouldn't have it or that money itself is bad. He's just reminding us over and over and over and over again to keep money in its place behind God. That's all. No guilt. He's not trying to take something away from you. In fact, he's trying to give you something better. So a question for us to think about might be this. In what way could money be standing between me and my relationship with God? And what might I do about that? Second question that I got assigned is this, what should we teach our kids about money? And it's a really important question for parents, and if you don't have kids, it's still a really important question rephrased like this, what should I teach myself about money? Well, first of all, you should teach everything. Anything that gets covered in the series, anything that you read in scripture, you should teach to your kids or learn for yourself. So I just wanna highlight two things. First, it's okay to talk about it. We just covered that Jesus talks about it, right? But this topic can be sort of a taboo for some families. We just don't talk about money. But I'm telling you that if you don't talk about it, they will get their information somewhere else. And you don't have to look very far to see the world trying to entice us all into thinking that money should be our master. So how do we do that with our kids? Well, just make it a natural part of everyday conversation. Point out ideas to your kids or to yourself where it makes the world tries to make us think that money or stuff is more important than it is. <clears throat> For example, a, a while ago, several years ago, there used to be this commercial on TV that told us that we should spend two months' salary on an engagement ring. Really? One guess who made up that rule, right? Well, if that commercial came on TV and you were sitting there with your kids and you didn't say anything, then they're gonna think, well, that must be right. And we can just rank everybody by the size of their engagement ring. But I would say to my kids, I would laugh and say, well, <laughs> my engagement ring sure didn't take two months salary. In fact, I have a flaw in my ring that's so big that I can see it with my naked eye. And we are still happily married after 32 years. Talk about how much stuff costs when you go to the grocery store. Talk about how many hours of work it takes to buy those pairs of shoes. Not constantly. And don't make your kids feel scared or guilty. That's not the point. We just want to have everyday conversation because money is a part of our life. But we just want to remind them and teach them to keep it in its proper place behind God. So what should we teach our kids about money? Everything. It's okay to talk about it. And one other thing I really think is important. Teach the joy of giving. Pick out a toy together for the Christmas store or make May baskets to give your neighbors on May Day or have them help you make a Goodwill donation pile. So recently I was really touched by something that Becky and Luke Bartlett's kids did for our partners in Haiti. 
So as some of you are aware, Haiti has just been a disaster since the assassination of their president. And so much of the country is just controlled by roving gangs of criminals. Food is in short supply. Our partners at, at UCI in Haiti, John John and Christy, had posted something online that they were running short of peanut butter. Um, Christy likes to give the kids at least one spoon of peanut butter before they leave school, so she knows they at least had that to eat for the day. Well, the Bartlett kids heard about this shortage and they asked, well, how much is a jar of peanut butter? And pretty soon, they were emptying their piggy banks on the table and they were asking friends and they were getting some Facebook people to help them and they came up with a bunch of money. All the kids were involved, but here is a picture of the two girls buying all the peanut butter they could with that um, money that they collected and we were able to get it on our shipping container that was headed to UCI. Look at those smiles. The joy of giving. And I would be willing to bet that they will remember buying that peanut butter for the rest of their lives way more than they would ever remember anything else they could have purchased with their money. So I'm glad for that example they gave me to remind me of the joy of giving. Question three. How can we focus on money and giving without feeling guilty or feeling inadequate? So this is another great question because guilt has no place in our faith, none. Sometimes we sing no guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. And this is true about money and giving as well. Do not give out of guilt or compulsion or arm twisting. If we are giving with those feelings, then something's off. Our giving in our relationship with money should flow out of our gratitude and acknowledgement of what Jesus has done in our lives. And that's why this money series is one of my favorites. Because when I suddenly realized that I loved giving back to God part of what he'd given to me, then I knew my faith had taken a turn. It was deeper, and God had moved to a higher priority in my life. But we don't owe a debt to God. That's not why we give. Jesus paid it. We don't have to pay it back, and we couldn't anyway. So no guilt, okay? But once you start giving with gratitude, you will find that you reap way more than you give. And not by getting more money back, but by more important things. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 7. It says this, remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your hearts to give. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And I like the message version too, so I put that up too. A stingy planter gets a stingy crop. A lavish planter gets a lavish crop. I want each of you to take plenty of time to think it over and make up your own mind what you will give. And that will protect you against sob stories and arm twisting. God loves it when the giver delights in the giving. We know this, don't we? Think about a time when you have gladly given to a cause. How great that made you feel in your very soul. 
Think about a time you've given reluctantly. Yuck. God wants us to feel that cheerful, delighted feeling when we give. And Orchard provides a lot of opportunities for giving. You probably aren't going to support them all. That's okay. So think and spend time being deliberate about your giving and then be cheerful and delighted when you do it. But what about feeling inadequate? You know, like, what's, what does my small gift do? Does it really make a difference? Well, one thing we can do to think about is uh, to uh, not feel inadequate is to think about the need that we met, not the need that we didn't meet. So think about all those jars of peanut butter. Think about the Bartlett girls' smiles as they push that trolley to the checkout. Was that enough peanut butter to feed all the kids in Haiti? No. They know that. But what makes that smile, what overshadows the unmet need, is the thought of each and every kid who did get a spoonful of peanut butter. Question four, what do we think money can give us that it really can't? What do we think money can give us that it really can't? I wanted to end with this question because it ties back to the first. Why does Jesus spend so much time talking about money? Jesus reminded us that we can't serve two masters, remember? We can't serve both God and money. But it's sure tempting. It's sure tempting. Why? Because serving God takes faith, and sometimes he's just so hard to see. But I can see the money in my pocket. I can touch it. I can spend it. I can see what it gets me. I think I have control over this, at least to some extent. So it's easy for me to believe that money will give me security, happiness, friends, love, things that I need, things that I want. But money is a deceitful master. The richest person in the Ukraine is not safe from war. The wealthiest person in the world is not safe from sickness or death. The wealthiest celebrities have to wonder, do I really have true friends and true love? Or do they just love me for my money and my fame? And what about happiness? Is that tied to money? I mean, happiness is hard to study, right? But there've been lots of attempts at it. And studies generally show that you do increase your happiness as you climb out of poverty. That makes sense, doesn't it? But as you continue to make more and more and more money, your happiness does not go up and up and up. It plateaus, or in some studies, it goes down. There are a lot of things that correlate way more strongly to happiness than money, including faith. So like many of you, we really struggled when we were first married. I'm honestly not sure how we made it. We were so broke. Todd, I was still a student. Todd was getting uh, not even a full first year teacher salary. It did not include insurance, and we were living in St. Louis. So a lot of weekends, we would get 
a 39-cent Slurpee at 7-Eleven, and we would go to the zoo because the St. Louis Zoo is free every day. And we made it fun. We knew every animal. We knew all the feeding schedules. We knew every shady spot to sit. I was a 39-cent date. <laughs> Grocery shopping was awful because we couldn't afford much. But even Todd made that fun. He can make anything fun, I think. But there was this shelf that had jars of some kind of fish balls floating in like a chicken broth type stock. So think of meatballs, but fish balls. I don't even know what they were called. But one day I wondered, does anyone buy that? Because even I am not broke enough to buy and eat that. So Todd took the jar and on the back, he made a little nick on the label. Not so that it ruined the jar, nobody but us knew, but every time we went to the grocery store, we would hurry to that aisle to see, had anyone bought the floating fish balls? We lived in St. Louis for three years, and I'm pleased to report no one was broke enough to eat the fish balls. We were broke but happy. On the other side of that, I once went to visit a friend out of state. And this friend had just built a brand new, giant, all brick home. It was stunning. And I hadn't even been there half a day when she said to me, do you wanna see where I'm gonna live next? And she drove me to a more extravagant neighborhood. And I spent the rest of the weekend really sad because no amount of money was ever gonna make her happy. There would never be enough. She would always want more. John 10.10, 10, again. The thief only comes to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. A full life, that means holding to the brim as full as we can imagine inside of ourselves all of the things that Christ can provide us, that he can really provide us. Security, true love, true friendship, real happiness, real purpose. The deceitful master of money only gives you the illusion of those things. Don't be fooled. To close this out, I was asked to share what inspires me to give to the mission of Orchard Hill Church. Now, some of my inspiration is practical. I'm kind of notorious for one time saying that I give because we need so much toilet paper at our Christmas Eve services when we have thousands of people here that I don't want to bring my own. <laughs> one time I said that. One other staff member shared with me that she was well into her adulthood before she realized, oh my gosh, the church has utility bills. Yes, all the ones that we have, snow removal and electricity and water and heat and internet and all of it. That is true. But the real reason that I give to the mission of Orchard Hill Church is so much deeper. Do you know that show, Antiques Roadshow? In this show, it's usually on PBS, people bring in their antiques and frankly, sometimes their junk, and then the appraiser tells them how much is worth and you know, this thing in their attic was worth $100,000, I never knew. Um, 
At our house, we like to guess the value before the expert. That's kind of our fun game. And sometimes it seems to me that the uglier and older and more worthless something seems, the more value the appraiser puts on it. But I still always say, something is only worth the appraised value if someone is willing to buy it, right? Like you have to have a buyer come forward with the cash. The appraiser can say something is worth as much as she wants to, but if no one comes forward with the cash to buy it, it's worth zero. So how much do you think this old antique is worth? And if you think I look pretty bad on the outside, I'm just gonna tell you my inside sometimes is a million times worse than this. So how much am I worth to a holy, perfect God? The God who created the universe, who is all-knowing, all-present, all-powerful. Am I worth $10 or 100 or 1,000? That broken, selfish human who turns away from God way too often? Turns out I was worth everything. Everything. And that wasn't just the appraised value. God actually paid for me. He wrote the check. He paid with his son. And now that he paid for me, he's restoring me. So I'm becoming a little less selfish, a little less greedy, turning away from him less often. And that's gonna be a lifelong process. So why does that inspire me to give? Because he paid for anyone else who wants to follow him too. And I'm on board the mission of this church to help next generations, that means every generation, encounter and follow Jesus to bless a broken world. Every one of us is included in both the brokenness and the blessing of that mission. And I give because I know that together we can reach a lot more people than I can on my own. So, I want you to keep asking questions Keep challenging yourselves and keep your faith growing. And with no guilt, would you pray with me? God, thank you that you are a God that answers questions and a God that sees where we will stumble and gives us warnings and then a God of mercy and forgiveness when we don't pay attention anyway. As we leave here today, would you... Open our eyes to the ways that money might be coming between us and you. And we give all glory, honor, and praise to you in the name of Jesus, the one who paid for us. Amen.